and I believe this, we can have the makings of a team that nobody in our conference wants to play at some point. It's just where we start, where we end, it'll be interesting to see. This is the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing. Now, here's your hosts, Paul Fritchner and Adam Baum, with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller. Welcome into the second episode of the Sean Miller Podcast. Paul Fritchner, Adam Baum, John Fanta of the Big East, and of course, Sean Miller, the head coach of the Xavier Men's Basketball Program. We want to thank our sponsor and the presenting sponsor of this podcast, Deer Park Roofing. And we want to thank each and every one of you who have watched the show, subscribed to the show, listened to the show over the last week. The feedback has been great. And uh, fellas, you know, last week, Sean, Adam and I, we got to talk about your history and your personality and your past and some of the stories through your coaching career and how you got involved in basketball but we thought for episode number two, since John Fanta was in town, we kind of let our hair down a little bit and have some fun today. So, John, uh, thanks for being on the show. You are the first guest on the Sean Miller Podcast, uh, and it is quite an honor. It's an honor to congratulate the Sean Miller Podcast on making it through the pilot episode and getting renewed for the whole season. Very impressive, the, the returns, yep. the immediate returns. And it's a thrill to be your first guest. I mean, yeah. what, what an honor this is. This well, is... I mean, we've we've flown you in. You're here. You're not on a Zoom. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, for doing that. I know we paid for it. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, and you think about it, it's, I think, the ultimate compliment when you have a show. You know, everybody remembers the first impression, the initial. Who's first, right? And my first guest uh, is you. So it goes without saying a healthy level of respect for what you do for a living and, you know, obviously working with you. And we'll talk about that in a, in a, in a little bit, uh, but just enjoyed it. And I thought it would be an appropriate Big East beginning and be in a, a great initial show here. First guest, John Fanta. So thank you. It's a thrill. I'm grateful. I loved working with you for a year. That was quite the experience over on the field of 68, which now this podcast is, is going to come right at. No doubt. The competition is in the air. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about it. Good We're coming for you, John. Although I've heard through the grapevine that, that this was teased at the conclusion of episode one. I've been yeah. told that there were some things said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would just say this, that, uh, you know, reflecting back on the year often, I have gotten a lot of questions about, hey, in the one year where you weren't coaching, you know, in between <laughs> your time at Arizona and before things began at Xavier, you know, what did you do? What did you enjoy? And, and it was almost like they, they asked me the question as if we were relaxing or I was relaxing. And, and when I look back at that, it was some of the longest, hardest days, uh, really, of, of, of my time working because you're doing the work not only of yourself, but several others that are on that podcast. And, you know, the Arch and Sean, you know, duo, you know, I love him. He's my younger brother, but let's face it. He carried about 10% of that water. The 90%, you know, I had to pick him up and carry him to the finish line. So just the review of the, of the Field of 68, enjoyed the experience, was grateful to be on it. But, I mean, I worked my ass off and did the work for a couple guys that are still on that podcast. And I don't really know if, if their work ethic was what I expected. That's all I'm going to say. So when we now launch our own podcast, the Sean Miller podcast, and it's competition, I'm confident. I'm confident in, in, in coming right at that show, no doubt about it. 
I feel challenged. <laughs> As you should. Was that was the first time your guys' first interaction? Was it prior to the podcast, or was it really? I never met him in person uh, until when? When was the first time we met in person? Because we were always on a Zoom, right, in different locations. I mean, it was probably here, yeah. which is crazy to say. Mm -hmm. We didn't work together in person the whole year that we were doing the shows. Right. Again, I had never met him, and I was asked the opening night of the 2021-22 season, yeah. right? Was it opening? No, it was, it was the Champions Classic. Yeah. Champions Classic, and I was assigned that night as the host of Field of 68 After Dark, and I was working with Sean and Archie Miller for the first time. They were working on the network, and so I got a call from Jeff Goodman in the morning who said, you know, I don't know exactly how they're going to be. I think they know their stuff, obviously. Obviously, you know your stuff, but he said, can you try to figure out a way to lighten them up? <laughs> And I said, well, that won't be a problem at all. It's I that mean, stereotype again. <laughs> yeah. You never smile, all that stuff, right? Right, right. So yeah. I thought to myself, I can do two things. One, I can unveil that I'm a huge Browns fan, huge Cleveland Browns fan. That'll I'm a Clevelander. Work. For all those listening, I'm a, I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns, Cavs, Indians, now Guardians fan. And I thought to myself, at the end of the show, we've got to do Miller time. And – the way I thought of that was in my fridge, mm -hmm. there were a couple of, of different things, but there weren't many beverages. Yeah. And on my door that, that day, I, I opened up my fridge to grab something and I looked at the door and there was just one, one glass bottle of Miller Lite. Speaking to you. And I thought, this is what we're doing tonight and that's going to get them to lighten up. <laughs> and, and here's how these two guys, here's how much these two guys know about basketball. I asked them a question about something. I said, it's Miller time. I was able to finish the entire Miller Lite while the two of them were answering. I'm not shocked by that. And Arch, Arch says to me on the Zoom, did you just chug that? I go, I go, I didn't need to chug it. Keep talking about the Pac-12. Yeah, we had a great time, though. In all seriousness, that was, uh, you know, for me, and, and Adam asked me a question recently on this podcast, like, what would you do if you, you weren't a part of basketball? And... I have a real honest answer to it, and, and that is, quite frankly, I'm not, I'm not sure because it's never really been a part of my life where uh, I, don't ha I don't have it until except for the one year. And what the Field of 68 did is it allowed uh, me and, you know, Arch, but speaking for myself, just to, to stay engaged in the game, have a great time, see it from a different lens, and uh, watch all kinds of different, you know, coaches and teams and players where oftentimes when you have your own team, you really don't get that opportunity. You know, guys, we, we paid Coach Miller, whatever. I'm not sure how that deal worked. But a Jack a Lambert autographed jersey. That's what I got. Okay. That's a fact. Chris yeah. Mack, who's now entering his <laughs> second season, somehow got renewed uh, for his second season with Field of 68. Chris Mack gets paid in Applebee's gift cards. <laughs> By choice? By choice. Those go. are his demands. By choice, yeah. <laughs> I said to Mac, I was like, what's your favorite restaurant near Xavier? You know, you got to like the yeah. precinct. We all love Jeff Ruby's, right. right? And Mac goes, hey, man, I mean, I love Jeff Ruby's. It's all good and stuff, but you're talking to the wrong kind of guy. I'm an Applebee's guy. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you know, Mac, we, we love him here at Xavier, and he's a good friend and an excellent coach. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking at the field of 68 and just – 
you know, we got to put in a good, good, honest one thing about Arch and I, we woke up early in the morning, we worked at it and we tried to be prepared so that we, when you and I were talking that we could really have a, a great exchange, yes. correct? And would, that's would you absolutely agree? the truth. Yeah. You were always prepared, <laughs> always prepared, the most prepared of anybody that I worked with. Did, uh, did doing the media grow on you through that year? Uh, you know, I've told these guys this many, many times. Uh, it gave me a completely different perspective and respect for everything that these guys do media-wise. On a very serious note, I couldn't, I couldn't believe the amount of work, the preparation, the research, the double-checking. Because when you're on as a media member and you say someone's name wrong, I mean, you could say 200 people's name right. But the only one that matters is that that one you got wrong, and you know it's a forever moment. You know it's it's almost a sign of a lack of respect, right? So I you know don't, you don't realize that when you're being the person interviewed because you always know your team, you know the names of players on your team or people that you're competing against, but you're not asked about a team that's in a different region or a different area of the country and who that coach is and what they do. So I found a new respect for just. The amount of work these guys do, uh, the difficulty of it, how bright they are, and then, you know, the pressure of being right when you say something. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I felt that for sure. Yeah. And I remember when when you got hired, it, it was a weird situation where I was still covering the team and I had never met you. I, I think we had talked on the phone one time for a story that I wrote, but I found myself going and watching – podcasts with you and your brother or the field of 68 to try to like learn more about you and get a sense of your personality and thing. So those were like really helpful to me when I was, Hey, there's this new guy coming in. I have to form a relationship with him. How can I do that when I haven't got the chance to meet him yet? So I watch podcasts. Yeah, I watch nice. the podcast. Yeah, there, they there were good. Go. Again, the gift that keeps, keeps giving. <laughs> can I revisit one topic? Yes. Here we go. When when I was on the field of '68 and just in that year, because my perspective was the Pac-12, I had been in the Pac-12 for 12 seasons, Pac-10 and then Pac-12. Felt like I knew it really well, players, history, coach, and I always felt that it was underappreciated, mm -hmm. and uh, and I really tried to take the the mantle that year of trying to give that conference the respect that they deserve whether it be Arizona or, or Washington State, because, you know, I would make the argument that Washington State playing them in Pullman, and it's not what everybody thinks. It's very difficult, and Kyle is a great coach, et cetera. And it constantly fell on deaf ears, but it's just amazing that <laughs> two years later, it's like there's no conference. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, for me, it, it's almost sad because there's so much greatness from that conference that it, it almost gets no respect now as if it never happened. And it, that, I don't think that's fair. Has, has anybody checked in on Bill Walton? Oh. No. Have we, have we done a status somebody check? Has to do, to have, he can't has be to well. Check in on, on so Bill Walton. I had a kind of an off-the-grid conversation with him, and I think the way he put it to me is, I am going out when the Conference of Champions do. Wow. So this could be maybe the final year for him. I don't know. Can't speak for him, but it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. <laughs> it, it's – Look, it's driving the bus every day, the realignment talks, and we could go down a, a rabbit hole and talk about it for hours, but uh, I'll, I'll say it in seconds. It's not what we've all grown to appreciate and love about college sports. The Pac-12 has a rich tradition, a championship tradition, 
great programs. I mean, the, the battles between UCLA and Arizona, and you think about Oregon and, and Oregon State a couple of years ago, what Coach Tinkle was able to do on that magical run, Washington, Washington State. I mean, I, you could go on and on and on. And for me, it, it is, it's sad to see that, that that league will not exist. We, I understand that those schools are going to be fine. They're going to find their next home. But I will say that in the midst of the football-driven world, and there's no question that that's the, that that's the case, talking with your players today, two of them said, well, what's great about here is, is that basketball is the show. Right. Basketball is the driving force. And in our conference. And that, that's, that was the next point mm -hmm. of, we are entering a year in the Big East that is as anticipated as a mid-1980s season in mm -hmm. the Big East Conference. The coaching, the players. You're talking about multiple All-American caliber talents. The growth in players, the home court atmospheres, the fan bases. It's, the Big East is everything that you felt in love mm -hmm with college basketball with. That's what the Big East is. It makes you, it's like cheers. Everybody knows your name mm -hmm. inside the Big East bar. Yeah, I, I've heard this and as the realignment has happened and I know there's so many different ways to look at it, but you know, here we have to look at it through our own lens and that is how grateful and excited we are to be a part of the Big East and the future of it. You know, where you're, you're playing in a round robin league 10 games at home, 10 on the road, a 20-game season, playing everybody, playing like you had mentioned, whether it's the city we're playing in or the home court we're playing in, I look at it as the best of the best for our players, for our teams, and then it all culminates in Madison Square Garden, which you, know, you and I talked about that earlier, that our conference tournament isn't at a new location. It's not a revolving door location. It's just at the same location, the most iconic place you could ever think of, dream of play, playing a basketball tournament or game, you know, Madison Square Garden. So uh, I think we're all really excited. I know the coaches that I've talked to that are in the Big East all look at it the way we do, and we're looking forward to our future. To go to the Big East tournament championship game and your first year back here, I mean, to play in a building like that, somebody with that rich tradition, everything like that, I mean, what was that like? It was amazing, you know, to go there on that first night where you're there before any games begin, you're in the city. Yeah. In our case, we are coming off of a hard-fought second-place finish, you know, to, to be 15-5 and five in last year's Big East. You had to feel pretty good about it. Um, but getting into the city, you know, you want to stay there. You don't want to be the team that heads home early. All of your fans are there. You can feel the pageantry of the tournament. And for us, we almost exited after game one. We had to really rally to play against a dangerous DePaul team uh, and then Creighton. And then reason that we don't talk a lot about being in the championship game is the championship game was over in about 15 minutes, real time, <laughs> about, about five minutes game time. You know, Marquette's depth and tenacity and who they were on that particular night, they overwhelmed us. So that's the only negative about being in that Big East championship game. Not not to get too much into it, but just kind of curious, looking back on that championship game, did you feel like when you say like it was over in 15 minutes of real time, did you see like that the the players were tired after playing three games in three days, or was it 
the overwhelming depth of Marquette or, or what, how did you feel like it played out that quickly? Well, first it's the quality of opponent. I mean, they were excellent team. They were playing really, really well on, the, especially at that period of yeah. time, um, led by a great guard, Tyler Kolick, who it's what John just said. He, you know, he didn't leave. He's back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's the big East most outstanding player and he returned. So I think that says all you need to know about Marquette this season. But their depth wore us down, and that was our Achilles heel a year ago. And what's interesting about our team this year is, and I hope what I say is true because we're 0-0 at this point, we, we've lost a ton of experience, and, and it's, there's nothing we can do to make up for that. But we are a deeper, more balanced team this year than we were last year. We are. just We are overall deeper. That was last year's team's weakness. So – that's up to us as a coaching staff to get the most out of that. One of the things you try to do when you have a deep team is get great value in practice every day because you got great competition each and every day. Sometimes a year ago, you know, because we were, were playing only six, sometimes seven players, you had to be careful how much you practiced. So that doesn't mean we're going to stay out there for three hours a day every day. <laughs> But I think you know what I mean. When the oh, yeah. person in front of you and you're going against in drills and in real scrimmage action is a good player who's trying to get more opportunity in games, it has a great way of making your team tougher, more resilient, and maybe improve throughout the year. And that's what we have to get out of this year's depth. The Sean Miller Podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Deer Park Roofing. Protect what's important with Deer Park Roofing's industry-leading training, expert attention to detail, and responsive service. From commercial and residential replacements to roof repairs, gutters, and more, request a free estimate today at DeerParkRoofing.com. That's DeerParkRoofing.com. Sean, when so much is different, you know, you look at what you accomplished here last year and what you have this year. I mean, Cam Craft's healthy. He missed a lot of time. He didn't play that much last year. But you, you have one guy who was a consistent, reliable part of your rotation last year in Desmond Claude. When that much is different, do you, how do you handle expectations? Like, do you, is that a dangerous game to try to think about what you could be, what would make this season a success? What's your right. mindset like that? You know, I think, Adam, what I have learned is, you know, it's just hard to go down that rabbit hole this early. Even a year ago, you know, it ended up looking – how you wanted it to look but there are many many times especially in October November that all of us were completely unsure of how it was going to go yeah and uh, so I think you try to keep your focus on what you can control and that is coaching these guys holding them accountable teaching them bringing out the best in each of them you know knowing that this is what we're not good at let's improve it this is what we are good at let's acknowledge it and make it great and that, that's the process that I think a lot of teams at this year are going through. When you start to look at we're playing Houston and Purdue in November, I mean, that can keep you up at night. You know, it's just let's keep our, our eyes on what we can control. Let's have a great week. Let's make sure that everybody is uh, pointing in the right direction because it's that process that I think inevitably wins out. And I believe this. We can have the makings of a team that nobody in our conference wants to play at some point. It's just where we start, where we end, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I have no qualms about saying that I believe we're playing in America's number one conference this year. The returning talent, the accomplishments of last year's teams, 
the coaches and then the new coaches uh, in a 20-game schedule. Uh, it will be maybe the most difficult schedule that I've ever coached. The scheming in the league is just amazing to watch. It's, uh, and I'd love to hear your reflection on this, but there are two games last year that come to mind that you played in that the quality of basketball, it's hard to believe it was college basketball. Because let's face it, there, there are some college basketball games that can be more difficult to watch than others mm -hmm. when it comes to shot making. Yeah. The shot, not only is this league really good, great aesthetically it's really pleasing i was here for that sunday afternoon xavier marquette game mm. unbelievable yeah. basketball game that you felt like with three minutes to go you weren't sure who was going to win right and both teams deserved to win right there was going to be a loser mm -hmm. that that was one the second game last year where I just felt like something came out of your team where you willed yourselves to win on a night where not everything went right was your home game against Creighton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Creighton played an A half. Mm -hmm. They were like, they were just on all we cylinders. We were lucky to be in the game at halftime. Yep. Mm -hmm. But then you guys just, you kept clawing and clawing and clawing and you, you made the finishing plays in the last mm -hmm. four minutes of the game. But this... Greg McDermott, Chaka Smart, now Rick Pitino uh, in this league. Ed Cooley's still in the Big East. I mean, it's the talent, but I, I just – I wonder how you go about when you're watching these teams on film and watching these coaches, but then how much does it change within a game? Mm -hmm. So last year, John, entering the last media timeout of the game, 20 of them, right, 20 Big East games, we either were two possessions up – two possessions down or, or in between, less than, right? So in other words, up two, up three points, up six points, down six, down two, down one, in 16 of the 20 games. And I think that's, that says everything. And, it, and we really try to talk to our team this year about that because that was a season in which you won 15 of those 20 games. So you just you recognize that you know, you, you have to be on it. You can't ever enter a Big East game and take that first media, go to the first media timeout and say, Let, let's just see how this is going to go today because you're going to find yourself in a hole. You have to be ready game in, game out, day in, day out, regardless of the opponent. And, you know, if you're a young player, isn't that the conference that you want to play in? Isn't that the type of conference that's going to bring out the best in you? whether you're a coach, team, or a player. And I believe this, that our conference is now positioned to do what we did a year ago, where whoever enters the tournament, the NCAA tournament, it doesn't matter where you finished. You forget UConn finished fifth place. You can make a deep run just because you're so battle-tested. Uh, so it's easy to talk about that right now. It's not as fun to talk about it when you're in it because you have to fight and you have to get off the, off the mat sometimes on a losing streak after a tough, tough, close game and be ready for the next one. I think one of the themes from last year's team was a lot of times you come out of the second half not as strong as right. clearly you'd look yeah. down at you on the sideline and you're losing your mind at the first media yeah. timeout or you're burning that first timeout and you're thinking to yourself, wait, we just talked about all this at halftime and that's the last timeout yeah. that any coach ever wants to take mm -hmm. is that hey we just talked about it yeah. two minutes ago timeout so as the season went on though obviously got a whole lot better at that mm -hmm. 
how did you what was your message was it just the guys locking in more was it a mentality change or was it something schematically that you felt like you needed to change coming out of the half was it the opponent adjusting or, or, yeah. or how'd you work on that so what we try to do paul and we've done it for a long time is break the 40 minute game into 10 four minute wars four minute battles whatever you like to whatever you like to call it. If you think about it, all college games are the same in that there's a media timeout, dead ball under, first dead ball under 16, 12, 8, 4, all the way down first and second half. So if you look at each one of those four-minute segments as its own game, you want to be consistent. You know, you don't want to be up 6 nothing in one of those segments, down 10-2. You know, what that reflects is a team that, that plays the game like this. Those teams who, who are tough to defeat, who are consistent, who improve, you know, not that you're going to be perfect, but what you learn is you want to be consistent and hard to beat in each one of those four-minute battles. So the battle you were just reflecting on is what we call the sixth four-minute war. That's the first four-minute segment after halftime. And why it's different is your guys are in the locker room, they're sitting down, they're reflecting on what just happened, sometimes real good, sometimes real bad, sometimes in between. But it then restarts almost, it almost like restarts the game. It's different than all the other four-minute battles. So sometimes you have a team that doesn't handle that situation as well. And for us as coaches, when you run into that, what I try to do is get them back out onto the court maybe a minute earlier. Really assign our staff to make sure that when they enter the court, that we're all business and we're running and we're, we're getting ready for what's to come. And then sometimes, you know, you get them to the huddle a little bit earlier. And now, okay, here, it's, here it begins. The sixth war, this is about us being the best we can be. You know, like we talked about at halftime, you have to block out. You can't give these guys second shots. Let's, let's make that our focus. So, by the way, there's only so much you can do because <laughs> those five players that are out there, they are the tone setters. But I think all coaches feel the same. You want to be a consistent team regardless of the time and score. If I was to say halftime, because I think a lot of a lot of fans place a lot of importance on halftime. Hmm. If I said halftime was overrated or underrated as a head coach, which would you pick? I would say vastly overrated because there's only wow. so much you can change. I think it's more of a review, an accurate assessment of what just happened. This is what you as a player did well. This is what you didn't do well. Here's why. This is what we through the identity of our own lens, the stats that mean the most, that indicate the, what the score is, that we need to do better in the second half, and maybe here's why. Uh, but it's really hard for all of us to go deeper into that because you practice so much. You are who you are. You know what you want to do. And it's about trying to do some things better, but very seldom do you just wholesale change. You know, you may change your pick and roll coverage or you may play less zone and more man if you're a zone team, et cetera. But for the most part, I, I think you just try to really be accurate with your players of giving them the sense of what just happened. It is a chance, though, to lose your mind in private if you need to, though, right? <laughs> and, and I would say that all of us hold, like, a couple bullets in our gun. If you call the halftime of the 37 games or 30 games, if you go in that direction too much, which I think we've all been guilty of, certainly me, Yeah. Uh, at some point, guys are like, yeah, you, you yell at us every half time. Right? <laughs> so I think you want to make sure that you save it for those real key moments. One of those moments in last year's season for us 
was at halftime of Kennesaw State, first round of the NCAA tournament. I remember what you said. I think said. there was just yeah. some real relief that we were in the tournament. We felt good about the seed we had and what we weren't experienced in dealing with is how good every team in the tournament is and how eager the underdog is to beat you. And by the way, you're on a neutral court until the underdog starts to win. And what you then sense is, oh, my God, this is like an away game. That's the tournament. The experience of the tournament teaches you that. Last year, we almost learned that in the first half of Kennesaw. And by the way, they were a really good team. So I used one of those bullets at that halftime. I was so out of breath that I didn't think I could catch my breath to begin the second half. Uh, I had nothing to lose, right? We were either going to lose or we were going to advance. So I just really tried to motivate maybe in a different way. Yeah, I remember you said uh, you called them one of the softest teams you've ever coached. Yeah, I, <laughs> I tried to really get on their nerves. No, but <laughs> I think, you know, when we recorded episode one, you know, a down, during downtime, you asked me and Paul a really interesting question. And that was, you know, if there was a moment or something that stood out to us from last season. And I thought about that. And I think the thing, and you sort of touched on this earlier, but I remember it was after Big East Media Day, and it was like a Sunday afternoon practice. And I was here watching, I think it was in the auxiliary gym, and you came up to me after practice and you said, I have no idea how we got picked to finish second in the Big East. And my point there was what I saw after that was I saw you really take stock of all the things that you didn't like, that you, that you weren't comfortable with, that you, need, you knew you needed to improve on. And I guess I'm curious, you're, you're in this situation again right now. Is that like an uneasy place to be? Or is that where you sort of love to be? Like, hey, I'm going to find all the warts and we're going to do everything that we can to make them right. I, I think it's both uneasy and, and man, it's why you want to coach, right? You, you have to be able to help these, these players. You have to be able to help them be successful. And being successful in college basketball is your team has to win, right? So I think, that, you know, the first part is uh, it definitely is uneasy. You know, all of us wish we had the most talent, the best depth, with no injuries in a schedule that you think is perfect. But I don't think any of us really have it to that level. Maybe one or two teams can live that life during a regular season of a college basketball year. But the rest of us, I think, have to really try to be the best we can be, work with what we have, teach, learn, and grow. And one of the great rewards in coaching is that deep down you know that our team is much better at the end than we ever were at the beginning, regardless of the record, because usually the record will take care of that for you. And I think that's what this year's excitement really reflects. So much unknown, so much new, that it, it really is going to take a lot of our staff and our players to come through this and be the best we can be. Who are a couple of those players this year that you're excited about seeing that development from? Obviously, a lot of people watching this know the expectations that are on Des Claude's shoulders and, and the accolades he's already gotten in the preseason from picks from writers all over the country. But there's 10 new faces, right? There is a lot of new contributors on this mm -hmm. team. So who are a couple of people that you're really looking forward to and, and for fans that are going to watch this Xavier team this year? Uh, what are you expecting out of these newcomers? There's a lot of ways for me to answer it. Uh, I'll just give you, you know, a couple things that are fresh on my mind right now. 
Uh, I've been really impressed with Trey Green. He is a small guy in terms of stature, but he has a big heart and a, a super high skill level. You know, a year ago, I was very concerned about Sule's stature and physique. You know, he's not a big guy. I would say Sule for most of the year weighed right around 170 pounds. You know, the physicality of the Big East worries you, game in, game out. Those, those road trips, playing in cold weather late in February, early March, you know, is he going to be able to hold up? But the thing you learn with someone like Sule is basketball is still a game of skill. And when you're that skilled, it's amazing what it makes up for. I feel the same way about Trey. Uh, I think he has a special skill, shooting. He continues to, to learn and grow in a very quick way. And I think he's going to be a real key contributor to our team. He'll be a fan favorite because he's a small guy and he's a great shooter. Uh, so that's one thing I would say. Um, you know, I think Dalen Swain is another young freshman that when you look at him today, we all laugh, I hope, a couple years down the road and think about where he was and look at him today because, you know, John saw us practice today. He's six foot seven. He can really handle and pass the ball. He's very, very versatile. And I think the sky is the limit for Dalen. We just have to help him get there. Those are two guys that were in high school a year ago, just two. Uh, in terms of our transfers, we've talked a lot about Quincy and Davion, our backcourt, you know, two experienced players. We haven't talked a lot about Abu Usman. And what I love about Abu is he doesn't play the game because he's tall. I really believe he plays it because he loves it. Since he came on campus in June, he hasn't missed a single day. Not a weight workout, not a skill workout, not a not a five-on-zero team practice, and then, of course, the real practices, scrimmages, games. He's been available, and he has practiced with great effort. And he has a competitive spirit that I think his team really needs. So he played for a really good coach at North Texas, very, very great defensive coach uh, Grant was at North Texas, and you could tell. So Abu, he brings a defensive mentality, a competitive spirit, an older physicality to our team that when you lose Zach Fremantle, Jerome Hunter in the summer, you lose Jack Nungy, you know, from last year's team, you know, who can you replace those guys with? So I love Abu's unique experience. John? Well, I am a Trey Green fan right off the top. Because of the feel for the game, his ability to shoot the basketball, but the motor on him is what Xavier fans yeah. are going to like a lot. He I is beyond his, his years. His instincts too. Instinctual. Like he makes some passes, yep. and I'm like, how did you see that? Well, I, I think the the crazy thing is when we're sitting at practice, it, we're sitting there, and, and there's a group of us that sit up there, four of us every day, and we're sitting there watching. And I can't tell you how many times we sit there. And, and there's a play that Trey makes, or it's a shot, or it's a step back, or it's a clearance, it's a pass, whatever it is. And we all kind of look at each other and go, whoa. Mm -hmm. And we kind of keep a tally of those, right, at practice. And you're thinking four or five of those every, every time they go out. Absolutely. I mean, and I think it's, it can be difficult for a freshman in general. Nor alone a, a freshman who comes in and on the team, you have veteran guards. Mm -hmm. The fact is, Quincy Oliveri and Davion McKnight are really veteran, poised guards uh -huh. who make plays, and Trey's got to guard Davion and be challenged by him, and he's handling it well in practice. So I, I've been imp I was impressed with him. 
I'm with you on on Dalen Swain. What stood out to me is physically he doesn't look like a freshman. Mm-hmm. And I just – you could see the growth. What I was thinking about during practice today was how a year ago Desmond Claude came into the room that we're recording this podcast in, and he was well behind Colby Jones. Mm-hmm. Colby Jones – who, by the way, will, will hit me up on Instagram every every couple of days. We'll check in and, and say what's up. He was confident, beaming with happiness, yep. ready to go, had everything figured out. And you could tell he was he was coming in the room that day. They, they did an interview together because he took Dez mm-hmm. under his wing. And now I love seeing Dez a year later clearly having taken – a lot of the things that Kobe told him about, mm-hmm. and now, as he told me today, it's time for me to take that torch. Yeah. And that's a lot for a quote-unquote sophomore, mm-hmm. but he is so much more than that. And I just think that the growth of Desmond Claude, um, you know, you guys are, are in the, the lab every day. You're in the room every day. I really believe that Des is going to surprise a lot of teams and people when they face him this year because he has done a magnificent job mm-hmm. of transforming his body, his mind, his game in the last seven months. He has. He, he has really worked hard. And I'm glad you pointed out something that, you know, all of us really want to happen here at Xavier. And that is you learn from those who came before you. Yep. And, you know, Colby Jones, not because he's in the NBA, but just because of the type of person he was here, the type of student that he was when he was here, and obviously the type of basketball player that he was in each of the three years that he was here. You know, he's the standard. He's a two-way player. He cared as much about who he was guarding in the defensive assignment and responsibility as he did how many points he scored. He tied Sule Boom in leading us in assists last year as a six foot five wing player. He became more confident in himself, improved his shooting through his own hard work. And he was the consummate team teammate and emerged as a quiet leader. As you guys know, Kobe is, isn't a guy who talks a lot, but he was so great in leading by example day in, day out, and then showing his teammates in a game what to do and how to do it. And then he became more sure and started to use his voice. But the impact that Colby has moving forward is what you just said. Dez knows how to do things in large part because he simply was Colby's teammate. He watched him. He listened to him. He followed him. And that's a forever moment. And I think that's what the great programs have, where those that are together, they never really completely separate from a year ago, two years ago, to the following year. So... It's cool that you said that. I feel like that's the case. And, you know, the thing for me is you would watch those guys a lot of times on film. And if it wasn't for their jersey number, I had a hard time telling Dez and Colby apart from each other. You know, very (laughs) similar in stature and movement and size and uh, and really style to some degree, you know. So uh, I do think uh, it was great that that Dez was able to spend that time with him. I'll give you one more. The Lithuanian Light Show. I'm trying to get this nickname to stick on. Gitas Namik yeah. Shaw. Yeah. What I've come to realize about him early in the preseason, he just he battles and he does all that little stuff that you need people to do. Mm. I think he'll be a fan favorite at Xavier. Mm. I think he might lead you in rebounds. I also think he might lead you in fouls because he doesn't give he doesn't ever give up on a play. But um, I've been really impressed that just like his work ethic and how 
He never gives mm -hmm. up on a play. And Gidas, you know, so there's no confusion, he's a transfer, right? Because he, he played at a university in his home country, Lithuania. And uh, so he's a little bit older, battle-tested, experienced, like some of the other transfers that we have. But when we brought him in and we were watching him and as we were recruiting him, you know, glue guy, a glue guy, uh, somebody who a lot of different types of teams would love to have because he knows who he is, he does his job, plays a certain role, he's a winner, and we're thrilled to have him. And I would say being here at practice thing, getting a chance to do some sit-downs with players, that Lazar Djokovic quickly has become a favorite of mine, uh, not only in the upside and in everything that he can do on the floor, versatile, athletic for a guy that's at, at his size. Talked about the job that you did with Lowry Markkinen at Arizona and how much that, that inspires him and what he can become. But I, I said to him, so how'd you get from Serbia to Xavier University? And he said, well, a lot of people recruited me, but what Xavier did, I love this, this story, what Xavier did was they came to me as a full staff and, and spoke with me, but they didn't act as if they were recruiting me because of what I was doing, had been doing with the World Cup team, the U19 World Cup team this past summer. They recruited me as if, which is the case, they had known me. They had known me. They had known what I had done. Whereas other staffs were jumping into the water, that right there shows you the power of, of this staff and, and what Coach has done. That spoke to me because that's, that's what I like to call next-level recruiting. You know, there are ways that you can get your chili around here. There's also <laughs> ways that you can be able to bring in a prospect, and that's going the extra mile, uh, an extra way, if you will, to be able to show a player of what they can be in your system. But also, I, I, I really appreciated Lazar telling me that story because it gave me a glimpse of his eyes. As much as, as uh, you would like him to play for you, he's also looking at his potential stops and destinations mm -hmm. And I'm excited to watch how he develops because I know that's something that you preach to your players. It's clear that when he steps on the floor, you can sense that there's so much different ability there. He has a lot of ability and, again, excited. That's, that's what's exciting about our team. It's a really unique group, right? Ten new players, six freshmen. Two of the six are international players. You know, uh, one of the four are international players that's a transfer. That's Gitas, which you just brought up, Adam. And, uh, and we go from here. You know, Cam Kraft would probably be the last player that I bring up in terms of talking about this year. He's only been back with us for a little over three weeks, not yet a month. And he sat out a lot from his season-ending knee injury, surgery, rehab, recovery. And uh, I think he's making great strides. Every day he's out there, he's a little bit more sure of himself. He looks more fluid, more confident in his movement. And uh, one thing about Cam, when he's at his best, he really can, can make three-point shots. He can score. And in today's world, you know, you can never have enough firepower shooting the ball. The Sean Miller Podcast is brought to you by Deer Park Roofing. And their company motto is protect what's important. Deer Park is not just another storm-chasing roofing company. They're invested in your community and truly care about the people in it. You can trust them to do the job right. 
Deer Park has highly trained professional technicians who make sure your residential or commercial roofing system is installed correctly and quickly. For a free estimate, visit DeerParkRoofing.com today. That's DeerParkRoofing.com. Well, John, I know you have a flight to catch. I appreciate you taking a few minutes today and uh, sitting here. It's a private jet, right? That's what we got him. So, look, let me end it since it's my podcast, (laughs) my name on it, just with something that I want to create with with the guests on the podcast, all right? Yeah. First thing that comes to mind when I I bring up a name or a topic. Okay. Rapid fire. You ready? Right. Cleveland Browns. On the rise. Pittsburgh Steelers. Come on. Yeah, well, Speak. the worst, the worst <laughs> of the worst. The worst of the worst. That's so offensive. Take that <laughs> terrible towel and put it in the back of your closet. All right. Jeff Goodman. One of a kind. <laughs> the Big East Conference. Meatballs, prayer, and hoops. Religious. It was founded at an Italian restaurant by Dave Gavitt in Providence in the back of an Italian restaurant and premier in basketball. Xavier. The premier program in the Cincinnati area. An elite basketball powerhouse with some of the best fans in the country and a program that prides itself on tradition but holds itself to a standard year in and year out and has had an amazing, amazing tree of coaches through the years. Not only amazing coaches, but highly entertaining people. I had a couple more. I think I might, I might have forgotten here. It's all right. He's going to be a recurring guest. You know he <laughs> yeah. is. You got one more for me? Um, when you retire oh, many, many years ago, <laughs> many years from now, because you're a young guy, I get it. That's right. At this stage, yeah. where would you retire to? Where would you live? Cleveland, Ohio? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, the beautiful lake. <laughs> have a lakefront view well that's a great question um jersey shore yeah i would go jersey shore. i would go to mm-hmm. yeah i would want a shore house mm-hmm. um somewhere in asbury park mm. be able to just sit back hit the boardwalk on a friday night head over to the stone pony for some entertainment yeah either the jersey shore uh you know enjoying a slice good italian food I like it out there. Still stay close enough so I can get to different hoops games because that's New Jersey's home for me, guys. So I get to anytime the Garden's got a game, which the Garden has a ton of games, I can get to the Garden. I, I'm, that part's never going to leave me. I think my wife's going to want to go down to Naples, mm-hmm. which is where all our grandparents are at. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and deny Naples. I'll, I'll take a night at the Royal Scoop. I'll go over to Docks uh, over in Naples for any of you Snowbird Xavier fans. There's got to be some of them that are listening. Oh, yeah, there are there some. Yeah. So I, call me in for Naples. I'll, I'll gladly, <laughs> I'll gladly split time between Jersey and Naples, Florida, with an occasional visit to the Dog Pound. And I would bring up it is a dream, 
before all this, wherever life takes us, one Brown Steelers game with you. Yeah, we'll do it. That's one. Definite. We'll definitely do it. We may bring uh, Arch along if he can. Not sure if we'll both make it out alive, (laughs) but we're going. We'll do it. We're going to make that happen. He's not allowed to bark, though, for that. Yeah. yeah, So uh, I I got one more question for you. If you could eat pizza at one place, where would you go? Wow. Favorite pizza? It's got to be Frank Pepe's in Connecticut. What part Frank of Connecticut Pepe's. is it? So it's, it, there's a it's couple New of Haven, them. Right? Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of them. If you're playing in stores, there's one about 15 minutes away after you get through the long and winding <laughs> roads like your Jack Nicholson and The Shining in the heart of January. But <laughs> the, Frank Pepe's would be one in Connecticut, okay? But for those going to the Big East Tournament, I'm trying to be helpful yeah, to your fans yeah, yeah. in New yeah, York City. Yeah. I would go and get a slice at Patsy's or John's on Bleecker. Either okay. one of those. You're on record. Great pizza. Head over there. Xavier fans will love it. John, thanks for being my first guest on the Sean Miller podcast. Uh, I mean, again, it says everything. We flew you down here to do it in person. Not all guests are going to be able to be here on person. We all wanted right. our first guest to make sure that you're, you're physically here. So thank you. And, uh, you know, again, I kid about the field of 68, but you guys are awesome. Some of my favorite guys in the, in the world. And I learned a lot in the year that I was with you guys. And, and yeah, so. The Sean Miller Podcast. You will learn something new every single episode. A pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can't wait till we do it again. Absolutely. Thanks to everybody for watching. Make sure you subscribe at Sean Miller Pod. Uh, Find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. You can find clips of the show there. Subscribe on podcast platforms. And thanks, as always, to our presenting sponsor, Deer Park Roofing. Thanks for watching, everybody. This has been the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing, with your hosts, Paul Fritschner and Adam Baum. Join us again soon for another episode with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller.